and COVID restrictions had just been relaxed, we could all meet together again. And so we were looking at a ch as a church what it was going to be like post-COVID in our church family. And I'm sure if you are visiting us today, it would be the same in your church family too. And so some teams got together across the church, so we had uh, the staff team, we had elders, trustees, uh, we had vision management team, and we got together in November last year, and we started to pray, and we started to fix our eyes on what God was doing, and believe God also for the vision, but also the finance to move that forward. And so you'll remember if you were around in January or February this year, that actually we spent quite a few weeks unpacking our vision as a church, the vision that God's given us, the prophetic words that God had given us, um, and so we spent quite a bit of time doing that. And then May 2022, as Chan has already mentioned, the miraculous gift of £50,000 God just brought to us because He wants to invest in us and the vision that He's given us for Glasgow and beyond. And so just recently I was just praying and thanking God. And as part of that process, one of the things that God inspired us with and spoke to us through was through um, the person of Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. And so I was, I was just thanking God for the miraculous £50,000, which I do lots, and the vision that God has given us as a church here. And God spoke to me and said, mm, it's great, it's wonderful, but you've circled your wagons around the 50000 Miraculous though that is, amazing though that is. And actually, there were some more things I wanted you to learn from Nehemiah, um, rather than just stopping at the finance. So that's what I'm, I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to look again at some of the things from Nehemiah. I'm going to pull out some important things, I think, for us as a church here, as Hope Church family, but also as churches for whatever um, you've come from this morning. So if you want a title for this morning, I, I've given a bit of a nod to the strap line and the, the, the slogan of Formula One. Does anybody know what that is? Do you know what it is, Mark? Oh, no. The strap line. The strap line. Anybody know what the strap line of Formula One? Oh, what a disappointment, guys. <laughs> the strap line to Formula One is we race as one. And so, actually, what I want to just tweet that little this morning, and I want our title this morning is we build as one. And that is connecting us to God, to each other as church family, to impact our world. And Jan just talked about it this morning, you know, our mission and our vision statement as Hope Church family is Hope Church exists to carry God's presence to transform Scotland and beyond. And we will shape the today and tomorrow of our world through God's passion, presence and power. So, we're going to look at Nehemiah. And the first thing I want to draw out from the book of Nehemiah is our history is important. Sometimes we want to forget our history, but our history is important. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, originally actually, sandwiched between two Chronicles and Esther, were two books in our list of contents, but actually were one historical book of the Bible. And Joe, if you were here a couple of months ago, Joe talked to us about Daniel 
and about um, how the Hebrews were taken to Babylon from Jerusalem and King Nebuchadnezzar entirely destroyed Jerusalem, its walls, its temple and its houses, leaving it deliberately unrebuildable. And, and um, she talked a lot about what that was like for Daniel going into a different culture. But as usual, if you've read a lot of Bible, Old Testament historical books, you'll know that uh, there's always a change of king. Always. Um, and so the Persians come and they, they conquer um, the Babylonians and Cyrus becomes king. Now Cyrus was a bit more of a tolerant guy and he allowed the conquered people, so the people he conquered and then the people the Babylonians had conquered, he allowed them to return to their homeland and worship their own gods. I was not really surprised because actually Cyrus was mentioned in the prophetic, some of the prophetic words that are recorded, that that's what Cyrus would do. And the Jewish exiles started to return. So they started to go back and wave one of that was Zerubbabel and a few of his friends and they returned to rebuild the temple right at the centre of Jerusalem which had been destroyed and put God back in the centre of their worship. So wave two goes a wee while later, and that was Ezra. And Ezra rediscovered the books of the law and re-established a godly lifestyle in the midst of them. Looks simple to say, but it wasn't without its many and diverse challenges. If you read the book of Ezra, which I hope you will do after this, the main one was that people actually just ran out of steam and enthusiasm for corporate restoration and they started looking after themselves. And if you read in Nehemiah, God speaks to them about building their own houses and the temple of God was remaining unbuilt. And so we scroll through the kings a bit and we get to King Artaxerxes, who was king of Persia. And at that time, the exiles were still being sent home, but it's all a bit more laid back. Uh, the initial enthusiasm is gone, and peace is stored in Jerusalem. So not only is there nobody going back, but in Jerusalem, things are not too good. Life is tough, and it hadn't quite panned out in that plant. So in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the disappointment, and life hasn't turned out quite how it there's one thing that kept the Hebrews going. One thing, despite all the setbacks that they knew, and that was they held fast to the prophetic promises of God. And the prophetic promises of God were that there would be a future messianic king, that God's presence would be the new temple, God's kingdom would be over all the nations. And that the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis, where, where God would bless every nation, every family in the world through Abraham. All that hadn't happened yet. They hadn't happened, these prophetic promises. Instead, the circumstances looked as though actually they were never going to happen. But God is always on the move to fulfill his promises. He doesn't promise anything he's not going to do. And always is looking for a people whose hearts towards him. And into that history steps Nehemiah. That 
So, what is Hope's backstory? I've only been here about six years, but I know it's not always been glorious. But actually, it is one of moving forward through difficulties and setbacks. What are Hope's prophetic promises which propel us forward? Do you know them? Do you know where to find them? We talked a lot about them when we talked about vision. But if you don't have them, find them. I'm sure the wonderful Jess in the office, just all of our staff team would be more than happy to let you know where they are. Read through them so that you know what the prophetic promises that you can hold on to are. Do we recognise God's hand on us as a church family? Despite what we see around us post-COVID, do we know God's, God's hand is on us as a church family? And a challenge to us really, are we ready to step into church history and God's plan for hope as Nehemiah stepped into history for the Hebrews? So that brings us to important point number two. As well as that, our yes is important. So I'm just going to, obviously can't really read you the whole of the first chapters of Nehemiah, so I'm just going to pick out some verses um, that you can have a look later, but I would really encourage you to read through it. So Nehemiah, right, first verse, um, it says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Bad news. Bad news. Do you know, bad news always presents us with a choice. And here's Nehemiah, thousands of miles away, can't really do anything about it. Here's this bad news. And bad news today always gives us a choice about what, how we react. So for Nehemiah, his reaction was he emotionally leans into the problem. He identifies with what's happening. These are my people over there. These are my people. This is my heritage. These are my prophetic promises. And he turns to the one person he knows has the answers. That's God. So it says in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 46, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your ear open to hear the prayer of servant is praying before you today and at night for your servants and people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So what, what's the problem here? According to the report that Nehemiah received, the remnant of Jerusalem was shamed. The city, a city with broken walls, revealed a defeat. 
Jews who would return to their homeland were both in unsafe conditions and humiliated at living in a destroyed city. Now just as a bit of a footnote here, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, it says. So basically he tasted the king's food and the, what the king was going to drink and eat in case it was poisoned. Not a job with a long career path, I would say. The mere fact they had to have somebody doing that would indicate that it happened quite a lot. So he was incredibly trusted, but actually he was also pretty dispensable. And he had no special skills, no superpowers. He's thousands of miles away from the problem. He's essentially a slave and he doesn't have any resources. Not a lot going for him. But what did he have going for him? And that's more important. He loved God. He knew God's promises for Israel were trustworthy and true. And he basically asked, what can you know, God will always respond to that kind of question. Basically saying, oh, this situation grieves me. What can I do about it? How can I help to turn this around? And so the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls would show God's blessing on his people. And Nehemiah, in a few verses further on, quotes God's words to Moses in his prayer saying, If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. So, here's Nehemiah. He asked God. He, was, he engaged his emotions. He wasn't as well. Poor no, I'm part of this. He was available. He leaned into rather than away. He listened to the answer. Trusted he heard God correctly and he gave it a go and he took some action. And so it says in the following verses So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Again, side note, you didn't speak to the king unless you were spoken to. And he certainly didn't look sad in his presence. He didn't employ you to look sad. He wanted to surround himself with happy people. But Nehemiah just turned up with sadness in his face and immediately God starts to work. Do you know, he was toast if he caught the king on a bad day. Um, and even if he spoke, he took it one step at a time. And miraculously, the king says to me, a few verses later, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Wow. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Oh, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the 
royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams in the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. Wow. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. I love this. I love this. There is Nehemiah standing there. The king says, what do you want? I don't know whether he knew what he wanted when he went in. I just love it that he was praying, listening, and speaking at the same time. God, what do I do? Listening, this is what I need. How, how, how long do you think that conversation took with the king? Five minutes? But actually, God, he emerged with permission, authority, and huge resources. And off he goes. As simple as that. Just because he said, yes, use me. Huge and practical though it was, God could have used somebody who was already in that city to do what he did. But he chose to use Nehemiah because God had a plan and Nehemiah said, yes, use me. It seemed as though God was sitting in the car with the engine running and all he was waiting for was Nehemiah to jump in. So what, what does that mean for us as Hope Church? At this time of rebuilding and realigning ourselves after COVID, we have our vision. We know what God's called us to. We have our prophetic promises and we have the miraculous provision of finance. That's where we're standing right now. And we all recognise that rebuilding our church family and helping to rebuild church families around us is needed. Does God have our yes? Use me. Because that's the most important thing. So, just as we think and start to ponder some more questions, what is my question in this season? Nehemiah's question was, what can I do? What is my question in this season? Am I available? Holy Spirit, what is your solution? Praying, listening, action. And what are you calling me to do? Last point for this morning that's really important is we know our history, God has our yes, but our togetherness is important. We build as one. So Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem and he has a good look the situation. It says, I went to Jerusalem and I sustained there three days and set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So what do you think he was thinking as he saw the devastation as he went round the walls? Rats, this is a bit bigger job than I thought. Uh, I'm never going to be able to do this. This looked a lot easier than Susan. Did his heart sink? I know mine would have done. But how often have I done that? How often have I said, oh, me and you, God, we can handle this when I'm in the prayer room? But then when faced with reality, oh, I didn't think it quite as big as this God. Negative emotions. Was he going to look 
already done? Or was he going to look with the eyes of reality? Now, he knew exactly what the problem was. He wasn't in denial, but he chose to align himself with faith. So vision, faith, and obedience are a hugely powerful dream. He also realised something else, that togetherness was so important too. Nehemiah 2, verse 17, says, Then I said to them, so these are the people in Jerusalem who have not said anything to yet, people who live there, who've lived with this situation for years, you see the trouble we are in, stating the blindingly obvious actually, but um, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we, we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. First miracle, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So Nehemiah inspired by faith, vision, and one more hugely powerful thing, which was his testimony. Do you know, remember, these people that have been broken down walls for decades. Basically, since Nebuchadnezzar had gone more than 70 years before they had been broken down walls. And they said, let's rise and build. What a turnaround. What did they see that caused that to move around? And actually what they saw was the mighty hand of God at work. I mean, what, how do you feel when you saw Nehemiah turn up? A huge caravan of wood. Pete, you know, all the things he needed. Letters keeping him safe. Togetherness. Came when they were inspired, they had a vision, they recognised the goodness of God, and they were all available. And I'm not going to read more than a little, a couple of verses from chapter 3, but chapter 3 is an amazing chapter. I would encourage you to read it. It is one long list of these very people who said they were going to build. It's one long list of them building. And so, and I have practised the names here, just in case. So, this is Nehemiah chapter 3, 29 and 30. It says, After them, Zadok, the son of Imma, carried out repairs in front of his house. After him, Shunaniah, the son of Shechaniah, keeper of the east gate, repaired the wall. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, the Shulam, the son of Berechiah carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. The whole chapter's like that. So, here we have people who have been coming out of their houses every morning and seeing broken down walls. Starting to say, we are the answer to this. And so they start to build. But you know, God, more was going on there than building of walls. Much more. God wanted to build cooperated, tied their bits of all together, encouraged one another, they were all together. The priests, the rich, all the local people. I mean, you can't just go out and each of you build your own bit of wall. Actually, that doesn't work, because it's not safe. What they had to do was, they might have built where it mattered most to them, and 
and that's what they asked them to do. Just invest in what matters to you. But they had to look to the left and the right. Well, my bit of brick needs now to tie in with your bit of brick. So building the wall was an exercise in togetherness, not just architecture. So what changed? It says in Nehemiah verse 6, we had rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So they recognised who they were, the prophetic call on them as a nation. He reminded them, God had reminded them of his goodness and provision. They'd forgotten all that in the past. But actually being reminded of that was incredibly freeing. Incredibly free. They were released to build. It wasn't that they were forced to build, but actually something of God rose up in them. And they, ex they experienced a freedom in God which enabled them to start to build. God encountered them, inspired them, and made them believe it was possible. So, what does that mean for us in heaven? Are we together? Are we together together? More than just being in a physical space, all we together. Uh, we are more than pandemic survivors trying to rebuild what we had. We are the people of God, full of vision, empowered by faith in God's prophetic promises over us, encountering the miraculous, invigorated by testimony, and available for God to use to reach the Nehemiah verse 4 and 6 again. So we rebuilt the wall until it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. So what are we going to ponder from that? What are your testimonies of God's goodness? Testimony so vital it inspired people who have been uninspired. So what is your testimony of God's goodness? Have you learned to live with broken down walls? How do you start to build where you are? So, we have half a wall, togetherness, success, joy, but there are circumstances start to shift. So you're going to have to wait till next week <laughs> to see how building as one includes victory circumstances. So they're full of joy, they're building together, everything's working well, but actually life circumstances start to cut in. What happens then? What happens then? So you're going to have to wait till next week. Sorry. <laughs>